0: it's Open Threads. It's my podcast. I'm Brian Castle. Welcome to it. Today, I'm talking to my friend, Nathan Powell. Nathan's going to tell us the story, not only of how he started and grew and co-founded a successful SaaS app starting from about about 10 years ago, but also how he sort of lost interest in it and ultimately came to a point where he decided to exit that SaaS business by having his co-founder buy him out. Hey, here's my real-time-ish update for you, and I'm recording this one on May 6th, 2024. First, I just want to say that once and for all, the name of this podcast, I'm sticking with the name Open Threads. (laughs) You may have noticed I had briefly renamed it there uh, in early 2024. I was using the name Full Stack Founder. Well, long story short, I'm sunsetting that brand name and that website it was a short-lived project that just didn't quite stick. So this podcast is back to its original name, Open Threads, from here on out. Okay, so uh, my... So as for my update, uh, you know my main focus now continues to be instrumental products. That is my product studio where I partner with clients mainly on UI and UX work. And uh, I specialize in designing modern interfaces for SaaS companies. And I deliver my designs in the form of coded HTML and Tailwind CSS templates and components. So that's the, uh, the main um, service that I've been working with a couple of clients lately on. And uh, it's something that I continue to, uh, to really double down on the rest of this year. Other than that, I'm spending the rest of my time building out some new software products of my own to uh, to add to my small portfolio. My main SaaS product, Clarity Flow, continues to run smoothly uh, with my small team, and we're always working on some imp- improvements there. So that's my update for now. On to the show. And then an interesting thing ha- happened after that, Nathan essentially quit the internet altogether for at least two years there. And we talked about his, his reasoning behind that and what he did with the time and where he's going next. He has since re-emerged in, in the internet and in my Twitter DMs, and he's sharing all sorts of cool ideas on, on what he's starting. We're going to talk about that in the next episode with Nathan. But for this one, I wanted to really get that backstory because I think it's a really interesting one. And it's really interesting to hear how You know, actually successful bootstrap startups can run their course. um, And we really heard, heard Nathan's personal story on that. I think it's a good one. I appreciate Nathan being so open about it. It's story time with Nathan Powell. Nathan Powell, how's it going, buddy?
1: Hey, man. Pretty good, pretty good. <laughs>
0: yeah, it's great to connect with you again. We've known each other for several years now, and you know, I just want to say, just right off the bat, I am like forever grateful to to you and Nusi because I think that you guys were not the first, but one in definitely in the first batch of customers on Audience Ops back in the day. Yeah, and, and you know, definitely like helped that business like get off the ground for sure.
1: That seems it really seems like a lifetime ago. Now that does.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think you guys are probably within like the first five or 10 early customers on that. So that, that oh, wow. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah, man. That, that does seem like a really long time ago. I mean, how <laughs> long ago was that? I mean, what are we talking?
0: Well, I launched that in 2015, and I think you signed on like somewhere right at the beginning in 2015. Okay. So, uh,
1: Funnily enough, somebody messaged me on LinkedIn two, three days ago saying they found the article that you'd done about Ducy. And I think I was mentioning the article on, on the blog. And oh, they yeah. You like a for, uh, yeah yeah like, yeah and they found me via there and they came to message me via linkedin i was like wow well, oh, that was cool. a long time ago yeah yeah so <laughs> it's still it's still you know bearing fruit <laughs>
0: incredible you, you've been around the block on on multiple things since then and before then so yeah i thought why don't we talk about talk about nusi a little bit and then we'll get into your your new stuff you know for those who don't know nusi is like a proposal software i mean why don't you tell the story of of like you know you don't have to go through the whole life story here but like how do you describe it in your, in your time with it and, and uh, where did it go from there?
1: Yeah, so with uh, Nusi, yeah, proposal software, back in 2013, that was when I, I first sort of started, I, I guess, coming up with, with something. Basically, I was just desperate for a project. You know, it, it, it was going to be my first sort of diving into a product kind of thing. You know, I, I delved into some writing some books and things like that. And I, I was, you know, you're a designer. You know the story. You're working on websites for the clients and products, and, and I guess that point where you want something for yourself. And to be honest, I kind of probably did it completely the wrong way around. I was just looking for the, I was looking for something to do without really delving into the problem. Um, I feel like
0: everyone uh, does it the, the wrong way. I think there so. Is yeah,
1: I think so, yeah. But your background—you're anyway,
0: you're a designer. First, yeah. So that right? yeah,
1: I'm. So I was. I desi- am a designer still, but I was a freelance designer for a good few years before I even started looking at Nucian. And one of the areas I was struggling with was uh, creating client proposals. You know, I used to go the whole InDesign route and then create a PDF and then email it and then get them to sign it in some other system and stuff. And uh, so I was looking around at the time, and to be honest, there was only really Rubens. Uh, BidSketch, of course, everyone knows Sketch, You know the OG of proposal software, uh, at least in the creative side of things, and very little else. So I, I thought, okay, I'll have a stab at that. I'll see what I'll see what I can do. See if I can do something that fits my needs a little better. And yeah, so I started messing around with that. Came up with a. I'd been given a bonus by a client, which was very nice, and I decided that I was willing to commit that bonus to building an MVP. Uh, and it was very little money, I think. I think it was like three grand, I want to say, maybe mm-hmm. to get this MVP so you could imagine. I mean, it was a long time ago, but still it was a very little amount of money. But I thought that's what I'm willing to to throw away. And, and what, um, what year was this? Do you remember? This 2013. Yeah, 2013. Okay. So um, just went and found a freelance developer. Got a really, really awful MVP done. It was the buggiest thing you've ever seen. It, you, you didn't want to breathe on it too hard because it would just fall apart. But um managed to get a couple of customers. I have no idea how really that happened. Really? Like, like back I, then, like people yeah, were just sort I, of like searching for that? Yeah, I think one thing I did well, and speaking of going back to content, one thing I did well from the very beginning was I started writing before I even had the product. So I was writing about freelancing. I was writing about proposal, creation, proposal, getting new clients and stuff. So I think I was already able to draw some kind of attention before the product was even really... Certainly in his empathy, the MVP, like I said, it was terrible, but I managed to get a couple of customers and I thought, okay, well, that's validation enough for me because even the customer development interviews I've done, now they did actually do a few. They all told me that they wouldn't switch from their current systems to, Mm. to something new, you know, they all wanted to stay within design and PDF and email and all that because they wanted complete control as designers always do. You know, they, they want, we want complete control over how it looks and everything. So.
0: So how did you get it built? And, and where did, when did uh, Michael, your partner on that?
1: Yeah, so of? I started doing some consulting work for a, a big startup. I think it's Spain's only Unicorn, as Michael very proudly states every time we speak to him about it. <laughs> uh, I started doing some consulting work for them, and Michael happened to be the lead developer there. And as I had so many bugs, and it was such a terrible piece of software, I had to keep paying a developer to fix this stuff. The guy I'd used originally, I wasn't happy with. And so I turned to Michael, who I'd recently met. And so he started freelancing on the project. And he came to me actually shortly afterwards and said, Nathan, you know, I think this is going to end up costing you a fortune. It's terrible code. It's, you know, it's a terrible piece of software right there. After he'd done a few small projects for me, he said, how would you feel about, you know, taking on a... a you know, a co-founder. And I was like, yeah, shit, yeah. <laughs> I can't afford to keep paying this, you know? And knowing what I know now as well, it's, I think it was probably kind of a good thing. That um, seems like a
0: really cool turn of events there to like find your partner. You know, I'm always sort of like fascinated with how business partners partnerships start. Because I, like, there were a few times where I came close to partnering up with someone, but for one reason or another, different reasons each time, I, I've always ended up basically solo on all
1: my stuff. But have you looked in the past or is it?
0: Well, like in your case, it's like for a developer to come on as a co-founder, usually it's the designer or the business guy or the marketing guy trying to convince a developer (laughs) that like it's worth like building for equity. Right. But in this case, it seems like Michael was like this. This has legs and I'm interested.
1: Yeah. I don't remember how many customers it had when Michael said, you know, you know, I'd be willing to come in on this with you. It would have been probably not even a handful, I'd probably say two or three. I really don't remember, but it would not have been many. And of mm-hmm. course, I was in the famous stage of charging $5 a month. You know, I was like, the, the typical charge nothing, <laughs> charge nothing and get hundreds and hundreds of customers. And you know, the more you get, you know, the lower you can price it, all that rubbish that people put into your head you know when you're just started out and that was what it was (laughs) yeah so we quickly were quickly able to take it from the original mvp to what became sort of v1 and again thanks to content and like i said you know later on you you guys helped us out with that but thanks to content that was how we were able to build a customer base and to be honest it went it was a sass i wouldn't say it went quickly it was definitely the the slow ramp but i think within Within two years, we were probably both full time, and I think for two sort of co-founders to be able to live off it in such a short space of time, I think that was that's pretty incredible, surprising, and also incredibly pleasing as well. There is one thing we should bear in mind as well, and whenever we speak to our counterparts in the US, is the cost of living in Spain is far is far lower than <clears throat> than the UK, than France, than than the US. I think you know it's certain things like health insurance, and those are things we don't really have to worry about. Yeah. So I mean, I guess it's
0: lower, but it's not like you're in the third world, right? It's, it's
1: not like- No, I, I, particularly we're in Madrid as well. And Madrid is yeah. is expensive and it's the capital of Spain. So, that, I mean, that was definitely one caveat that we were able to live off it. But it was great because it meant, you know, we could put all our time into it and we could, you know, I particularly could write more content. Back then I used to do more podcasts and I ran mm-hmm. up a couple of podcasts and those kind of things. So it was great. But um, I think after, I mean, we ended up having... I think we had customers in like 54 countries or something, about 60 Uh, countries by the time, by the time I
0: left, I mean, aside from like content, you know, and, and sort of like, so there, there was like content and SEO, but do you think that there, there was like the viral factor with NUSI, like people sending proposals and then seeing like powered by NUSI?
1: Do you know, we were terrible, terrible, terrible at tracking how we got customers. And so it was always far easier to say that everything came from content. That yeah. is the honest answer, because that was pretty much the only thing we ever really did. Don't get me wrong. We did experiment with a lot of things. We experimented it as marketing. You know, we built a couple of other products. We bought another product as well. Tiny Reminder from Jane. Who, oh, wow. Uh, I, I mean, didn't realize. No,
0: yeah. I probably knew that and, and I forgot. That's, yeah, that's
1: awesome. that, that, came, that came under the umbrella and became Nushi Reminder and... Oh, so yeah. we, we did we we did do a lot of other things, but we were never really just that great on tracking where everything came from and where it went to and all that stuff. You should know and should even if it takes you a long time to figure it out, there should be a point where you get there. And I don't feel that we ever really got there. So,
0: so I'm curious, like because you're no longer at Nucy, we'll get to your your exit and and all that in a minute. But I'm curious, like during the time that you were working on Nucy. Aside from you and Michael, did the team grow?
1: No, we did experiment a couple of times. I was desperate to get another developer on board. Once things got to a certain level where, like I said, you know, we were both living quite well, I was desperate to take on another developer because being a designer, I want things to move more quickly. You know, I, mm-hmm. I want to get these features out. Things that, that we can design in a, in a few hours or a day or a week, you know, obviously can take development you know, potentially months. So I was I was very impatient in that sense and was desperate to take someone else on. We hmm. did dabble with taking on a junior developer. We dabbled with taking on, uh, we even took on a summer intern, which felt very grown up.
0: No customer support <laughs> help or anything like that?
1: No, we just, we always handled customer support ourselves between the two of us because there was never there was never that much. I think we definitely could have done a lot better job with all of these things. We definitely could have, and should have delegated a lot of this a lot earlier on. Uh, I know you're a big fan of that yourself, and and just getting that annoying crap out.
0: I'm really interested in right now. I, I guess I'm always interested in is like the how the the nature of the work changes as the business yeah. goes through different stages, right? Because like you know, I'm I'm in a SaaS business now with ZipMessage, but it has never really grown. Like I haven't really been able to grow a SaaS business to the size that I had audience Ops before. And that was a very different type of business that like audience Ops was a people service business. Like the, Mm -hmm. the team kept growing and we had a process and all that. But I find with a SaaS, we're just constantly creating. We're always in creative projects. We're creating features. We're creating new marketing projects. And it's, it's much less about like the process and,
1: But I think, I think, but I think you're in a particularly lucky position here or, you know, a good position to be in is that you're also, you're touching everything because you're a developer or one of the developers, you're doing the design as well, you you know, customer development. I do enjoy
0: it because of that. I I really like being like in the full stack, but it's also like so much more work. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah,
1: but it keeps things interesting though, right? Because you're all, and it's easy to keep the passion up as well, I think, because you are seeing all the different areas grow and then the areas that you don't want to be working on anymore, maybe for example, customer support, uh, which to be honest, I was never a a huge fan of. Uh, Michael was always fantastic at it.
0: That's what I wanted to ask you about. Like, so during the years that you were working on Newsy, obviously you have like the days where it's the startup, like you're just get the MVP, get the very first customers but then there's like this next phase where you've grown the customer base to where you and Michael can both pay yourselves a full salary, right? Mm. That seems to me like a new phase of the business. What changes at that point?
1: Every Everything changes and and kind of doesn't because you're expecting it to stay the same. You're expecting to still be the designer and he Michael is still expecting to be the developer. Yes, we've taken on extra roles that perhaps, you know, we'd never done before. Support being one of them. I'd never done support ever. Uh, I'm not the most patient person either. So as no running support. Sometimes you have to have infinite patience. And so everything changed in the sense that all of a sudden, because those designs I'd done could perhaps be waiting for months before they saw the light of day or before their customers were able to get their hands on them. So for me, there was a really big shift and I think it was almost... It's probably one of the things that took me to the end of, do you know what, I'm not so sure that I'm so passionate about this anymore because I think maybe that whole initial excitement and passion and yes, this is, you know, we're growing this. We're both doing what we're great at, which is design and development. Once that did start to change, I think, yeah, because I'm no longer a designer anymore, I'm a business owner and all the responsibilities that come with that, the, the taxes. Taxes in Spain are they're horrendous. I mean, I know people who have left Europe and gone back to the States to run their businesses because Europe is a nightmare. Well, there's, um, there's
0: plenty of nightmares on that front here in the US. Though. I can imagine.
1: Yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> but just everything that's, that I was never been a part of before, you know, it brings those extra pressures and takes away from the joy, I think, of the reason that you started this, the reason that you wanted to build this business. And my idea was always, was for it always to be a lifestyle business. You know, I, I never intended, uh, I never had the intention of, this is going to be something huge, we're going to get funding, we're going to, you know, we're going to have a board. That wasn't something that interested me. I, I wanted to be on my bike riding in the mountains and making enough money to, to, to make a decent living to support my family.
0: Hey, real quick, this podcast is sponsored by Instrumental Products. That's my product studio, where I and my small crew, we take new product ideas from concept to launched. I'm a full-stack product designer and developer, and I love collaborating with fellow founders, creators, and SaaS companies to bring that spark of energy into new product ideas. Think of Instrumental Products as your shortcut to shipping that next idea and getting it into the hands of your customers as efficiently as possible. Got something to ship? Let's talk. Visit InstrumentalProducts.com oh, to you. learn more. So yeah, I mean, I guess that's a good segue into like the beginning of the end for for your time on NUSI.
1: I think it was, um we both pretty much sort of taken our own individual roles as far as we could, as far as developer and designer. So we were doing the additional roles, obviously, sales, marketing, customer support, accounts, you know, every, everything else you can imagine. And we we hit a plateau and... I think first time around we were we managed to sort of wiggle out of it and start seeing growth again. I can't remember now how we did this exactly. I'm going to say content, but who knows? <laughs> um, I'll just I just I push you back <laughs> to content because I have no idea. And then and then we plateaued again. But the, the interesting thing was between 2014, which is when Michael came on board, and probably say 2017, there was an explosion of uh, proposal software at SaaS businesses. And they literally did just come up out of the, out of the woodwork because initially there was a bit sketch obviously and, and ourselves <clears throat> and maybe one or two others. And then all of a sudden we, were, we even had our, our, our website completely stolen and, and hijacked and somebody copied it in Brazil and the exact copy. And you know, there, there were all these competitors. Isn't
0: that amazing how that happens? You, you see that happen all the time with popular SaaS products, right? And it's like, it always, I mean, obviously, these things happen, but I could never get my mind around. Like there is somebody somewhere who is like, I am going to copy this line (laughs) for line, design for design. And I think that's okay. And I can live with myself. I don't understand that
1: at all. No, I didn't start either. And you know, but as you say, these things do happen. And obviously we reached out and said, Hey, that better come down right now. And I did so.
0: I remember one when back in the day when I was running Restaurant Engine, I saw a couple of ripoffs of Restaurant Engine and one of them was like French and they created like a French version of Restaurant Engine, same exact logo and everything, but like the word was like in in French, like it was, it was incredible.
1: Yeah. They say it's the best form, you know, form of flattery, right? But, uh, imitation, but I don't know, you can take it to extremes and literally ripping off someone's work is the extreme nobody wants to be taken to. Yeah. So everything changed, you know, there was suddenly, there was a lot more competition, And yeah, we just, we peaked and we couldn't get past that plateau morale for me personally started to take a dive and I became more and more frustrated with the speed at which we were able to ship. We went through several, several meetings, not what phases of meetings where we would try and come up with alternatives to the the current situation, you know, whether taking on help, taking on development doing this, doing that, selling this piece of the business off and getting some finance, looking at funding, all these kinds of options that are on the table when you're a SaaS. So um, those were but, all just
0: ideas that you were considering. These were all just but,
1: the ideas that yeah. we were considering to try and, in my mind, save the business mm-hmm. um, or save my passion for the business, at least, because I thought if we can't get past this this plateau, then I'm just not interested anymore. You know, this is not why... Yeah. I, This is why I created a a lifestyle business.
0: You know, I have totally been there. Obviously, I I came to the end of a few different businesses and and ended up selling. But the one where I really resonate with that is is probably the end of Restaurant Engine. I owned that for probably like four and a half years, something like that. And that was one where I just remember like we hit some, some sort of plateau and I had tried a bunch of stuff. And then it wasn't working. And then I just lost the creative energy to keep trying new ideas. You know, yeah. this was like, I just, it's, <laughs> especially as a, as a designer and a creative person, like there are only so many creative projects that you can really take on to, to kind of create your way out of it. And, and I mean, that includes marketing too. Cause like marketing is a creative that like there's creativity involved in that too. But if you're just hammering and it's not working, it,
1: it's I, yeah. And I think. And I think Michael probably felt a bit trapped in the, in the fact that, you know, he was the sole developer and while we could have potentially taken on maybe a part-time developer, we weren't rolling in money. And of course, Michael didn't want to take on a junior developer because he didn't want to have to de- then dedicate the time to, you know, bring him up to speed or, or up to speed on everything. And it was kind of, well. You might be gaining something, but then you're also sinking a lot of time and effort and all those things. So we, we just couldn't get to this place where we were both in agreement on how to move forward. And in the end, I just said, well, here's another option. <laughs> and the other option is you buy me out and I disappear into the mountains.
0: Was there no, what about like just selling it outright? Like he, he really wanted to stay?
1: No, that that was, yeah, that was one of the options. I If I remember correctly and funny enough, Funny that this should stick in my mind. I came to the final meeting, in air quotes, with five five potential outs, you know, five options mm-hmm. to to move forward. One of them was to sell. Uh, one of them was for Michael to buy me out. And to be honest, I can't remember the others because those were the most, you know, those were the most poignant. And Michael was adamant that he wanted to continue. Michael was was adamant that he wanted to continue to pound on Ducey and to, you know, try, try and get out of this and, and to keep growing it because he was... He was completely the same as me, looking for a lifestyle business. He wasn't interested in funding. wasn't interested in growing something huge. It was just something that he could live off and support. So we kind of said, okay, then uh, you know, I'll sell you my half of the business, and we can go from there. So we kind of spoke to some lawyers and 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 got that finished up, and and that was kind of that. And I didn't really feel any regret. I didn't feel any any loss. I didn't, which was kind of strange because you know Lucy had been my baby. It had been. The original logos are still on Dribble. You know, mm-hmm. if you go, you can see the original designs and they're terrible, but they're still <laughs> there from 2013, you know, and it's, it's something that grew from, I left in 2019. So it was, you know, it was okay. a fair few years. So
0: I don't know, you know, what is actually okay for you to share or okay with Michael to share, but how does that sort of thing work for folks who are not really familiar with, you know, if you bootstrap a business and you had a business partner and the partner buys you out. What are the options or the terms or logistics to make that work? I mean, I have a few few friends have done it, and it and it's yeah. like usually some like payment plan over over some time. Like, how well, does that- we only
1: had one option because, like I said, you know, we had we had X amount of revenue, and it was fine for the both of us. But there was nothing in the bank that was sitting there saying, "Yeah, you know, we've, we've got a year's runway here or whatever." So yeah. we had to, the only option available was, "Yeah, we're gonna have to sort out some kind of payment plan." And it wasn't ideal, obviously the ideal would have been here's a lump sum for you, because then with that, obviously, I could have gone off i could have could have done so many things, you know, started a new business I've never really been in this situation, but could could there
0: be like a, just a bank loan where he gets the loan and he he pays off the loan but but you get paid out immediately
1: why weren't you there four years ago? <laughs> <laughs> didn't even didn't even occur to us that option. Uh, or maybe it occurred to Michael silently and he never said anything. <laughs> yeah, that, that that could have been at least an option to discuss. But it, the uh, the option we came up with, and to be honest, I mean, I knew the situation Michael was in. We, we certainly never ended on, we still speak almost daily. So we, we're still on great terms. So I didn't want to put him in any sort of, you know, situation that would be stressful. here For him, he's got family, sure. he's got a kid, et cetera. Same as me. But you know, I didn't want to. I didn't want to do that. So we kind of just agreed. Well, we'll do over. I think it was. I don't know. Out how long a time period it was now with that monthly payment. It,
0: and it seems like, from what I can tell, like outsider looking in, it seems like Michael's been doing a pretty good job with Nussi these next few years.
1: Yeah, I mean, he's still keeping on, keeping on, and I think, you know, obviously, any information regarding Nussi since my departure would be up to him to mm-hmm. to share. But it's still just him it's still just him doing everything and still Great, doing his best thing. to to grow and yeah and I, and I know he's happy doing that you know he's he said to me many times you know it's it's pretty much his dream just to have you know a piece of software that can keep going and keep providing for him and his family and provide again that lifestyle business so it was it was kind of a probably a good end to to what it was it's just a shame that it got to where it did, you know, where where I felt that you know I was just not into it anymore. But I guess these things happen, you know, and and who's who's to say it might not happen again in the future? But it's sure. kind of it's shaped my thinking for the next projects and for the following projects.
0: Before we dive into the next to, to the thing that you're excited about right now, and, and we're going to get into that in the next episode, I, I just want to wrap up this one with so what happened next? Like you 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 came to the agreement, <laughs> you officially a- exit NUSI. Yeah, like you, you sort of disappeared from the internet there for a little while.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I went I went dark. I, um, <laughs> I've i always had a problem being in front of people. Even when I was playing in bands when I was a kid, I would stand with my back to the crowd. It's just this huge insecurity. And and I think social media is terrible for anyone who feels like that. You know, we all know that. And so many people on social media say they're introverts. But for what I see published half the time, I think, hey, is that really true? Are you really an introvert? i I guess... There's something about this that doesn't sit right. But there was also other things about it as well that this whole... There, there bit- is a truth
0: to that, though. I mean, like, I don't even think I'm that outspoken on social media, but I do podcasts and stuff. But really, in, in real life, I'm extremely quiet, like, in, yeah. in social situations, especially, like, you know, groups and stuff, it, it, you know, where I'm not as friendly with, with the people. But, like, 100%, like, it, it's a thing,
1: yeah. But I think as well, that's, if you are able to do the podcast and you are, which I I was able to in the past, you know, and I did and, you know, and I wrote a lot and all those kind of, all those good things. But it only, it only furthered this thought that, well, you know, should I even be doing this? You know, not that does anybody want to hear, but should I even be doing this? You know, what, what does it matter? What I have to say? And, And I still have problems now with Twitter and things like that, where people are, are giving their truth you know this yeah. is this is what it is this is how it is and
0: and even people that aren't aware i have so many so many rants on that we can go off on a whole episode
1: on that <laughs> but one. half the time i don't think people are even aware that they're doing it and it's just like don't give me your truth I, I don't care i mean yeah and i know as well so from looking that i must have done it as well and i do it as well and i hate that and I, and i hate that about myself and it makes me think It's not imposter syndrome, that's part of it, I think, but it's also this sense of, do we need to be here? One of my biggest heroes years ago, before I started, in fact, just before I started NUSI, I interviewed for a design job for a company assassin in in Australia, doing huge amounts of revenue. And the founder, I think he had like 52 followers on Twitter, uh, and they they were doing millions. And the guy just... Didn't care. It's like, didn't give a shit, you know? Mm-hmm. Why Why should I care about Twitter? I'm running a successful business. Yeah, and I, and I almost felt envious, you know? And I probably did feel envious. I thought, I want to be that guy, you know? Why the need?
0: You know, you're really touching on something that I totally relate to, although I do like to share. First of all, I like to podcast and I do like to be active on Twitter, but I have been, I would say, in the last like three years or so, I have been like literally quieter on Twitter. Cause I feel like I have sort of lost whatever voice I used to have on there. And I don't know if that's because of the, what Twitter has become around me. Like, cause a lot of it is like, I, I too just get so frustrated with like people like putting stuff out just to debate or just to, just to sound like they're, they're an expert and they know quote unquote the right way to build a business or, yeah. or to not <laughs> fuck up a business. Like, You know, when I read that kind of stuff, like many times I've been affected by it. Like, oh, that person really knows what they're talking about. So what I'm doing over here must be wrong, Mm -hmm. and it makes me like second guess and and question myself. And and it makes literally my work on my business a lot harder because a a lot of this BS that I hear and read on Twitter or wherever else, like, it just has an an outsized impact on my actual work. And, and it's not healthy. Right. So like now when I try to be more conscious about what I'm sharing, like I'm, I'm really trying to not do that. I'm just trying to share real, like, this is literally my work, what I'm creating, what I'm making, and here's why I'm doing it. it Cause it's what I'm doing every day. I want to kind of share my work with other folks like you, like, like mm. talented professional people in the industry who I trust their opinion and stuff. Like I like to be able to share stuff publicly i
1: think i think the problem with social media is it's too easy to be lazy and if you're lazy you will just give that minimum character response to somebody who's trying to ask something or trying to gauge something Mm -hmm. And, and and oftentimes that can come off even if you don't mean it that way it can come off as it can be misinformation or it can be misleading or it can be or it can be defiant or it can be whatever it's very very difficult to take the time to give a well thought out Answer or reply to somebody, and I know it's actually you do do that. I mean, when you give a thoughtful response uh to people's tweets, and to, you know, to mine as well in the past, but it's very hard to do that. And I just got sick and fucking tired of all of that. And um, so when I saw Lucy, and because I was I was huge into my mountain biking, you know, I ironically had my YouTube channel mountain biking, and I just thought, fuck it, I've had enough. So, so I just cancelled everything. I cancelled all my, all my social media accounts and went completely dark, huh. except for except for the mountain biking channel.
0: I didn't even really notice that until until recently that you actually have a YouTube channel about mountain biking.
1: Yeah, because I had to come back. Coming back from the dead is hard. <laughs> Coming back from the dead is really hard I socially. Bet.
0: Yeah. <laughs> what were you doing professionally? Like, did you well, did you literally take a break from all like?
1: Design I took a break and, from and Projects and everything. I took a break from everything for probably in all honesty, two years. I took a break from everything. And I just said, I'm gonna ride. I'm gonna take the motor home. I'm gonna travel around. I'm gonna have a good time. <laughs> uh, and then I realized, well, at some point, I'm gonna to have to go back, you know, because I don't think I thought it through, you know, obviously I hadn't thought it through, because I realized, well, if I'm gonna go back to product at some point, I'm gonna to have to be, you know, I'm gonna to have, have to have some kind network. of presence. Yeah, yeah. yeah network, because I'd I lost touch with everyone. So how do you go back? You have to go back somehow.
0: Did you do any sort of like consulting work or freelance? I did, yeah.
1: I I had to go back into consulting work as I realized the money was coming to an end. And if I want to build this, you know, this next products and things, then obviously I need to get money coming back in. But even going back into that now and realizing that I'd burned all my bridges, it's like, Mm -hmm. well, now I have to rebuild all those bridges again and start reaching out to old networks. And how am I going to do that? Well, okay, I've got emails here and... Uh, maybe I can do it on LinkedIn. I think I kept LinkedIn because I literally saw no point in LinkedIn anyway. So I thought, well, what's the point in canceling that? So I was able to find all contacts there, but it's, yeah, I mean, back on Twitter from zero and it's weird as well. But, and again, thanks to the perception that we have on social media and that I think inherently it's a pretty poisonous environment. This image of people we have that when somebody comes in with zero followers, <coughs> that, you know, you know, and so it's, it's very hard to build back up again.
0: I haven't like killed my Twitter account, but I do think a lot about like unfollowing everyone and just starting over. <laughs> like, I don't know. Again, that's, that's another rant for another day. So the temptation
1: is always there. <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, we're going to continue this in, in the next conversation because you've got something cooking. You've got a new product yeah. coming together. Yeah. We're going to get into that. Good stuff, Nathan. Thanks. Cool. That does it for today's episode of Open Threads. What'd you think? Let me know on Twitter or X. I'm at Castjam. And you can find the full videos for all episodes of Open Threads on the YouTube channel for this podcast. That's youtube.com slash open threads. One more thing, I'd really appreciate if you'd give this podcast a five-star review on iTunes. That helps a lot. Thanks for listening.